iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, this is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, the first semi-final at Euro 2020 is upon us. Can Spain roll back the years to pass their way into the final? Or will Italian fortitude deliver them into the showpiece event? This is the Game Euro 2020. I'm Hugh Wisencroft and joining me to look ahead, Tom Roddy, Gregor Robertson. How are you? And firstly, how are you feeling about the semi-finals and final now? Because, you know, it's it's squeaky bum time, as Sir Alex would say, Gregor. <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to the, the two semi-finals. They're both quite hard to call. There's a, there is a favourite in both, I think, but it would not be a surprise to see the, the other team go through so I think you know we're quite evenly balanced and I think it would be fair to say the Spain have kind of peaked in troughs but four of the four of the, the best teams in the competition definitely and it doesn't always work out that way you know, we've seen some pretty uh, dour teams succeed in this competition in the past and and uh, nations like Greece kind of plunder their way to the to the trophy but I think all, all these teams certainly in spells have been uh, very entertaining to watch Looking forward to them Tom? Yeah, I am a lot, and 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 there's a part of me as well which feels quite uh, quite sad actually that we've got three ga- you know three games left, and yeah. it's been such a good tournament, and and also just the been reminded this summer of the kind of the charm of of um, of international football after a year in which we've had sort of the greed of club football and inequality of club football there's that that's not that's not involved there's a there's kind of there feels like a purity in international football so i'm a little bit i'm a little bit sad it's coming to an end you're right it has been a great competition and there is a romance that goes along with international football maybe that's what you were alluding to um let's break down what will firstly be a huge game of course all the games left at Wembley but the first semi-final between the Italians and the Spanish we'll also by the way get the latest from the England camp ahead of their semi-final against Denmark a little bit later on but I wanted to break this down into talking points. We'll talk about the two managers a little bit later on. We'll even talk about defences versus attacks, the two midfields as well, and what Wembley represents in terms of how the outcome of this game might be. Um, But I firstly wanted to ask you both what you think, holistically, generally, the strengths and weaknesses of these two sides are. What do you think, Gregor? I think there's been a bit of a a shift certainly because Italy have changed the the way they play so so markedly you know it used to be this was a bit of a culture clash these two nations going head to head I think I read some of their played 37 times and won 11 each they were you know the two giant nations that of football but they used to be you know the kind of the Italians were defensively solid quick counter attacks and the Spanish dominating possession there are now quite a lot of parallels I would say that you know the midfield battle is the is going to be is going to be key they've both got Huge talent in midfield, and I would say both teams don't have a an out and out elite 
striker. So, you know, I'd say there's some parallels between teams. Italy are playing with a little bit more dynamism. Spain are kind of... That's you know, a rowback on the Maratta praise from the other day, Gregor. <laughs> uh, it was more hope than, uh, than the reality of the, of the situation. It's true. I think, you know, as good as Italy were against Belgium, I thought Chiro Mobile was really pretty poor. So that that is at least one kind of weak point, if you can call it that. And I think as, as we've gone over... That is something you could say of Spain as well. But both teams are, you know, want to dominate, want to play through midfield. I just think Italy have got that little bit more dynamism. And I've, as I said before, Emerson will be having coming in for for Spinazzola, a huge loss. And it's going to be interesting to see whether Insigne will be as as dangerous because the way that they worked together and rotated on down the left hand flank was has been one of the standout kind of uh, features of of the tournament. I would say so. I'd say there's some parallels between the teams. I just think Italy have that little bit more edge and dynamism about them. What do you think, Tom, about the strengths and weaknesses of the two sides? Yeah, I, I can only really echo what Gregor said in in terms of the the, the way Italy have evolved into a, into a much more similar side to Spain. But also one thing I think Gregor touched on, the idea of Italy's dynamism. And I think Jorginho actually was speaking uh, this week about that. And, and kind of hit the nail on the head, really, when he said they're, they're the team who have a philosophy. And if a player is removed from that and another one comes in, then it doesn't really change. Now, I don't think that will be the case with Spinazzola. With, he's going to be a big, big miss um, for them. And of course, Emerson, I mean, he's played he, he made two Premier League appearances this season, so it's not quite, it's far from like for like. But when I look at the, the four teams remaining in this tournament, I think Italy are Italy are the team that have that, that have that kind of philosophy that doesn't change whoever is is involved. Um, and of course that that record of 32 games unbeaten is is really no surprise at all even though they are they have evolved and they're not just that kind of defensively solid unit with um, a midfield which let's be honest has actually been sort of inspired by um, inspired and admired by Spain because you know Jorginho before he moved to Chelsea he was it was Guardiola who was trying to get him to City but they still have that in, in Bonucci and Chiellini they still have that strength and that that absolute passion for defending i mean i you saw in the belgium game the celebrations of the two uh, uh, the i think it was when lukaku hit the post and had that miss the celebrations that they had i'll miss that when they retire because you don't see that elsewhere it's 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 really quite refreshing that they do that so they still have that passion and passion and i think it was chiellini who said not so long ago that the reason there aren't so many great defenders coming through is because of this um of the 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 kind of trend of players needing to be midfielders and that was spain that was because of Spain doing what they did 10 years ago, this trend of having a team. I mean, the 2012 final, when um, Spain absolutely wiped the floor with Italy, they played with, I think, six midfielders. So it's probably more, really, probably 11. But um, it's it's that um, 
it's that change, but, but Italy still have, Italy have both now. They have, still have the strength in defence and that dynamism and quality from midfield. And just for the record, listeners, uh, we haven't added the sirens in just because uh, Tom's hot take there was so bad that we want him <laughs> carted off to jail. Uh, yeah, it just lives in a pretty unruly area. So uh, apologies for that. We'll keep going. There might be more. So we'll warn you about it now. Um, look, I wanted to talk about these two managers. Before we get to the details you've alluded to and in terms of how the game might go and some of the key players. I think the two managers, Roberto Mancini and Luis Enrique, are so intriguing in terms of their approach in this competition. I, I read Cesar Azpilicueta of Spain saying um, that, that Enrique just wants them to be aggressive. It's all about the high level of intensity. That's how he wants them to play. That's what's brought them this far. But then you think about Roberto Mancini's Italy, and as you've already already alluded to, Tom, you know, in many ways, that's what they have at the moment, that level of tenacity and that endeavour that has been marked, I think, in Italian sides of the past. He's managed to rediscover that, I think, Mancini. But um, but, but really, my question on the two of them is, is which coach is ready to deal with this situation better? Because neither coach has really been at this stage uh, in a European, in a major competition. Gregor, I'll start with you on this one. Enrique or Mancini? They're both hugely experienced uh, coaches and managers, so you know, I don't think this is going to be a daunting stage for them. I think you just got to look at the, you know, who's going to have the most confidence in their team. And I think Spain, in fairness, Enrique's been pretty bullish about, you know, when he's it's been put to him about the kind of the wobbly performances that they've had, or you know, the failure to break down Sweden, and then they had two games where they scored five goals, and then you know kind of stumbled through in the, in the last round. Uh, that's a bit harsh. They, you know, they've created plenty of opportunities, but they're just not always fired. They've, they've, they've taken some criticism, I think, but he's been pretty bullish about it all. And I think that kind of sums him up. So players talk about the intensity. I, I'm not necessarily sure we've seen that in their play all the time. You, that's not the first word that would l- jump to mind when you've watched Spain in this competition. Would you agree? I can see that in his character and his personality. Um, I can see him trying to get that across to the players, but I don't think it's always really been evident in their play. Italy, on the other hand, I mean, I said it before, Mancini's kind of, every decision he's made has, has come off. I think went to throw on uh, Chiesa, then choosing to give him a start, you know, just to stretch the play a little bit and open up a bit of a channel for Barella to kind of, to bomb into, you know, I think they're pretty, very cohesive uh, team Italy and, and, and they just look very comfortable in the, in the kind of, in the shape and the way they're being asked to play. I don't want to repeat myself too much, but Spinosol has been such a huge part of that. It will be interesting. You know, Emerson's a great understudy. Let's be honest. I think he's, he's, he's still a, a quality left back, so there's no issue there, but he was just such an important feature of their play. It's going to be interesting to see how how they adapt. I think one of the interesting things about Spain is Luis Enrique as a character, maybe trying to, to meld the the old... Spain, the Spain that had loads of technically good players, but never quite reached the level, the Spanish teams that he played in with the Spains that used to play teams off the park that won a World Cup and two European championships. And of course, this generation of players, having watched very closely those teams, most of them, you know, it's almost like the nation wants to play like they did under Del Bosque, but but he's trying to make them remember that it is still about winning games. And I think Roberto Mancini in Italy they just have that tradition where it's just about winning. It doesn't really matter how you do it. And I think maybe that will take them a little bit further in terms of approach as well, because I still feel like, you know, the Pedris of this world that are in the team, you know, can't forget Sergio Busquets, you know, was one of the main players in those teams. You know, he doesn't want to change the style. He doesn't want it to become more aggressive. 
they've got some way towards what Luis Enrique wants, which is some sort of halfway house. I just don't think they've perfected it yet. Tom, back to my original question though. Which coach do you think will handle the semi-final better, Mancini or Enrique? I think possibly Mancini, but I don't think it's necessarily about the coaches, to be honest, in this individual game. I think it's about the coaches and the players and the the system they've had for the past... you know, 12 months or so, the the preparation coming into this tournament in in exactly the same way as England. It's about how they've come into this tournament because it's not, you know, games are decided on a a day, but a performance at a tournament, a lot of it is about the preparation for it. And I think when I look look at Spain, they seem like a side, they don't seem ready for this to me. Um, They don't seem like they are complete this sort of um, resurrection of that side, the recreation of that side of um, of 10 years ago. It doesn't look quite complete. They'll now go go on and win it, won't they? Um, Whereas Italy feel like a, (laughs) Italy feel like a complete side, like this has been coming for a, for a little while. And that momentum is seen in the, in the, in the record breaking run. And I just think Man- Mancini has, you look at both these coaches and if you could see both of them, if, if Mancini hadn't worked in the Premier League, you could you could see both of them coming to the Premier League at some point. You know, what's quite, I think it's quite refreshing though, is that there'll be no question marks about, you know, are they going to line up to kind of counter one another? Are they going to change system? Are they going to do this and that? They will both go out there and they will play the way that they play and they'll try and impose their philosophy for want of a better word their style on the opposition and that could make for a really exciting game well it's interesting these two managers very strong characters and we'll see Gregor if they play exactly how you expect them to and we'll talk about the details of the game a little bit later on but Luis Enrique the Spain boss has just been speaking to the media so it's a good time to bring in Paul Hurst of the Times who's been following Spain throughout the competition Paul how are you? I'm very well thank you very well and it's been an interesting press conference from Luis Enrique of Spain tell us why he was asked um how, he's, how he plans to kind of prepare his his players for this huge game, this game that, you know, no one really expected Spain to to get this far, did they? Uh, and he said that he will put it in the capable hands of his psychologist, Joaquin Valdez, who has kind of basically followed him throughout his career, um, whether it be, you know, Barcelona, Celta Vigo, uh, Roma, and now with the, the Spanish national team, and he says it'll be up to it'll be up to Valdez to try and calm the players down because there is a tendency in these games, he said, for for players to get a little overexcited, which I just think is quite a quite an interesting kind of insight into how how Spain operate. I think um, if you know, as as I said earlier, I, I don't think anyone expected them to get this far, so I think they're kind of you know willing to use any kind of extra help that they can get and um, Valdez just seems to be such an interesting kind of character he was a he was a former professional judo um, or judoka I think that's how you pronounce it a former mm-hmm. professional judo um, person and he, um, he used to be a ski um, teacher as well which, you know, so this guy's you know he's, he's been around he's, he's studied psychology um, started, started um, at Sporting Gijon and then you know has been with uh, with Luis Enrique ever since so 
you sort of see him knocking around all the Spain videos in the, the training sessions and the press conferences as well. He's a bit like his shadow, really. And he he sort of, he advises Luis Enrique on the words to use, the kind of the phrases to use to you know in public in the press conferences and with the players as well. So he's sort of like his his right hand man, and he's gonna you know place a bit of responsibility on his shoulders uh, when it comes to the team talk. I've got to say. Just looking at Luis Enrique on the touchline, whether Valdez might be more for him than his players, you know, because it does it does some sometimes transmit from the manager to his team. He doesn't really seem like the sort that's always telling them to calm down. You know, he he's almost <laughs> jumping out of the, the, the dugout half the time. I know I've, I've not got much hair left, but what I do have left, I end up pulling out just looking at Luis Enrique because he is such a, a frantic um, person. He's very similar to Pep Guardiola in that respect. You know, very animated, very very passionate and I know what you mean he, he does he does seem to kind of not lose his cool but he's very kind of animated on the touchline but you know that's I suppose that's kind of shows his passion um, passion for the game and you know he's he's very much you know he's, he's a great believer in this team I remember him saying earlier in the tournament that he's never been with a, a greater group of players and when you consider you know that he managed uh, the likes of Lionel Messi, etc., with Barcelona. That's pretty. Uh, it's a pr- pretty big claim to make. Let's ask you this from the Spanish perspective: Do you think they have what it takes to beat Italy tomorrow? Because I get the feeling that the rest of us feel like Italy are, are firm favourites. I tend to agree with you. I, I, I would be surprised if Spain won. I've watched, obviously, covered all their games this tournament, and it seems bizarre considering that they scored. 10 goals in two games but sometimes I just think I, I don't see where the goals are coming from I just look at Alvaro Morata sometimes and think you know just he just takes one touch too many and he lacks a bit of confidence and they seem to take seem to take a lot of chances before they score a goal and with Italy you're just not going to get those chances are you they're not going to be they're not going to give you you know 12 15 shots on on goal it's going to be very restricted and Spain, I just think, need to be that little bit sharper in front of goal if they're, if they're going to stand any chance. And also, the, the midfield, up until now, has, been, is, has had quite an easy ride in terms of you know, being pressed, etc. I just think um, that the way the energy that the Italians have, uh, I just think that the likes of Pedri and Busquets and Koke will come under more pressure than they have done earlier in this tournament. So that's something that... They're not used to. We'll talk about those different areas of the pitch in a few moments. But Paul Hurst, thank you for joining us to discuss Spain on the Game Podcast. Appreciate it. Cheers. So Paul thinks the pressure is going to come on the Spanish midfield. Let's break the game down then into the two penalty areas and the centre circle with Tom Roddy and Gregor Robertson. Let's start, gentlemen, with Spanish attack versus Italian defence. Gregor, how do you see that playing out? Well, I think probably the most impressive player has been uh, Ferran Torres and Emerson coming in. He's, as I say, I think he's a he's a, a good understudy and he's we've seen that he's a good player but I think um, that could be one area of weakness for for Italy you know as I say I, I think the fact that both both really are struggling for a an out and out number nine who's gonna who who's in a you know elite level and really thrived in this competition I think Chiellini and Bonucci will probably have harder days at the office um, <laughs> I don't want to speak too soon there but I also think I also think Lorenzo right back he, you know he, he stuck kind of manfully at it against uh, against Doku against Belgium 
but he, I think, you know, he's just not quite got the turn of pace, perhaps, and he can perhaps be got at as well. So, you know, I, I would say if Eng- I would probably say if England were to get to the to the final as well, that would be an area. If you imagine Ryan Sterling against against Lorenzo, I think Ryan Sterling could have a good day against him. So Italy have been outstanding defensively on the whole. Um, there's just been the occasional because they play quite a high line because they press. If they play in a high line and they've got two two guys in the mid thirties, we saw even in the early throws of the game against Belgium that was a tactic. They tried to spring Lukaku several times in behind, and Spain have the pace up front to to take advantage of that. But you know, on the whole, they've, they've coped pretty well with that. And as we saw, the way they saw the game the game out, if they need to, they can sit in a low block and good luck breaking them down so I would say Italy coming out on top there Tom do you think these Spanish wide players in particular like Gregor says can get the best of the Italians you know I think that could be one way of doing it I know that uh, Lukaku was pretty quiet in the Belgian game against these Italian defenders they relished taking him on but there is no real standout number nine as Gregor's pointed out for Spain to the, for them to worry about but it's more the movement and the players running from midfield that would be the big concern yeah it's 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 one way and probably the only way because you can't see Morata having too much joy in this game. I mean, you've got to remember these, this is, this is, this could be an opportunity for Morata in a way, his, his mindset heading into this game, because he, he obviously was teammates with Bonucci and Chiellini at Juventus. And they, uh, I believe they used to um, have a go at him because of the way he plays, because he's a, he's a little bit fragile and, and they saw, they know his quality and the potential he he had and and still has in games and didn't sort of live up to that. So they used to sort of have a go at him for, for it in training. So you could see that in two ways. Either, either Morata looks at this game and thinks, I'm coming up against two of the fiercest defenders who always used to get the better of me in training. Or he sees it as they used to have a go at me and this is my opportunity to show them that I am living up to that potential I've got. I think it's going to be the former and it's just, it, it's really tricky for him. So, and I think Luis Enrique will recognize that as well. And I think he'll see, you know, it, it's almost, it, it's fallen into their hands a little bit that their strongest area with Ferran Torres is coming up against Emerson, who is a, he's a very good defender, He's, he's at Chelsea. He was always the better defender out of him and him and Marcus Alonso. But he's also not got much game time. So there's that lack of sharpness there that they can capitalise on. If it was me, I've got to say, I'd probably start Moreno over Morata. I just he was getting into the right spots. Listen, neither of them has been great in front of goal. So it's really much of a muchness. But I, there was something about the, the positions that Moreno, Moreno was taking up that were just... They were just the more classic number nine position. I think the players, uh, his teammates were a little bit more comfortable when he was on the pitch. And I think there was more out of the other players around him when he was on the pitch. But I know it centres around Morata slightly more when he's he's on. Um, Gregor, who would you start quickly? He's stuck by Morata, hasn't he, so far? It's just, although it was it was a surprise. I think he came off after 53 minutes in, uh, in the last he, game. So. He clearly wants to try something else out when he took yeah. him off. You thought, right, he's giving Moreno a chance here. You know, he wants to see what he's got. I agree with what you're saying. He, he, he had three golden opportunities, particularly the one at near post. You know, he, he, you're right. He did have his movement looked pretty good. It's just that final, final, you know, application. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if he starts with Moreno in this one, but we'll see. 
Right, onto the midfields. This is the area that I, I honestly cannot wait to see how they match up. Busquets, Koke and Pedri, probably against Verratti, Jorginho and Barella. You know, two of the best midfields so far. Great to watch. Goals, tackles. They've had pretty much everything. Where do you see this one going? Gregor, I'll start with you again. Well, that, this is the, you know... <laughs> the biggest draw, I think, of, of this game because they're all such exquisite technicians, basically. We've seen Pedri play some, you know, he, his vision, he's kind of, he always looks to play forward as well and he, he takes risks. So he's been he's been really good to watch. I mean, I, you know, he's obviously had a breakthrough season in Barcelona, but it's the first time I've seen him on a kind of, you know, a consecutive basis. So the thing is, they both have a player in, in, in Busquets and Jorginho who really like to control the they, they aim to control the tempo of the game and for me Giorgino has been the more impressive in this in this competition and and the kind of dynamic that they that they that Italy have with you know for since <laughs> and they have also have an embarrassment of riches is that Locatelli had a great start of the competition and you know there were question marks do you bring Verratti back in but Verratti has been he's just got that extra very few players take as many as many touches I think as Verratti he's always taken it feels like you're taking too many touches, too many touches, but he draws an opponent in and then he, you know, he creates space for someone and he, and he, he's always great at kind of turning away from them and popping the ball off. He's, he's a, he's a wonderful player to watch. And you know, as, as I say, Barella's got the legs. I think that's the one thing that, that he has that maybe the Spanish midfield don't. Koki is playing a little bit of a different, different role than, than he does for Atletico Madrid in terms of kind of he's got he's the one who's got to try and get into the box I think but Barella has been really really dynamic and and impressed me a lot in this in this, uh, in this tournament who edges it I think I'm going for Italy again they've been the most impressive trio Spain have been you know the way that they've the way that they they've played in midfield and the rotations and, and stuff have been great but I also think part of it's to do with who's around them and the kind of as I say again the, the kind of cohesion of the team and and Italy just Italy edge it in that way they seem to get more bodies forward quickly and when you're a midfielder and you're looking up and you're seeing that then you, it's, it makes your job a lot easier Tom? I think when you look at Spain and you see you remember that first game of the tournament and how much they've improved since that in midfield because because of Busquets because of Busquets coming in um, it's allowed Pedri to get so much further forward and, and Gregor's entirely right about Coco I mean he needs to get into the box for the, for, for Spain and you see I kind of touched on it earlier you see the 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 influence of, of Spanish football on Italy, really, because Verratti is just such a special player. But but Jorginho, zoning in even more into this midfield, I think the, the key people will probably be Busquets and Jorginho because they play in such a similar way. They're, they're sort of the leaders out there as well. I think Jorginho, I believe, is, is nicknamed Radio Jorginho by the Italian teammates, which, <laughs> which isn't the most... Um, <laughs> most creative nickname I've heard before, but yeah, I've heard <laughs> yes, yeah. <I've, laughs> um, but the the point is that he um, he he's that kind. It's just because he doesn't stop talking. He's just g- g- constantly giving instructions, and you you see as well. Whenever Thomas Tuchel always in the big games always picked Jorginho, as I mentioned earlier, Guardiola Guardiola wanted him at Manchester City. He's he, he's not the player like Busquets. He's not the player 
in the generation before then who who got plaudits for what they did. He's not the YouTube footballer, neither of them are, but they are so effective to those teams. And they're not up against each other, but I think whoever performs best out of the two of them could be a key indicator in who, who wins this game. And then on to our final third, the Italian forwards against the Spanish defence. I think I know who wins this one as well, Gregor. Yeah, I mean, I said there's a lot of parallels between these two teams, but I would also, obviously, the, the glaring differences who they both have in central defence. In fairness, you know, Laporte and, and Paul Torres, who's coming for, for Garcia, they did okay, apart from when they basically ran into each other to give uh, <laughs> the, the opposition a goal uh, in the last round. So I think that is a weakness for Spain. But they have Aspilicueta, who is, who is a leader and one of the most reliable players he in the Premier League for many years now, and Jordi Alba, who's who's uh, been a outstanding left back for many years. But I, I just think Italy, with the, with the number of bodies they they get forward, as I said, I, you know, I, I wouldn't just I wouldn't like highlight one v one battles here. Insigne perhaps against Aspilicueta, but he, you know, because he drives inside so often. But are you going to see Emerson overlap to quite the same extent and try and occupy Aspilicueta so that Insigne has space to drive inside, as we saw for the for the second goal against Belgium. I'm not sure if that, you know, there's going to be the same dynamic there. So I would still say that Italy are going to, are going to come out the top, but that's not just because they have Chiro Mibali. It's not because they have Insigne. That's not because Chiesa is, you know, full of running and, and so dynamic. I think it's just because the speed with which they get bodies forward is going to be too much for Spain. So there's no chance, Tom, because I, I still think there might be a small surprise from Luis Enrique and maybe a three at the back if he's genuinely worried about the opposition. Try and spoil it, take it to extra time, nick it 1-0. You know, it's not tiki-taka, but it's a competition. It is, but I think, uh, and I think that Spain fans would be pleased, very pleased um, over the moon, in fact, for, for this team to have got to a final, to have got to a semi-final, in fact. But there's also, I, I also think there's there's a similarity between Brazil and Spain in that there is a way Spain are expected to play now to, to succeed. And so I, I don't think they're going to play for extra time and, and just um, as they have done in the last few games, just um, just getting over the line. The thing is also they've, they've, they've only, cons- they've only had two clean sheets in this whole tournament. And that doesn't, that doesn't reek of, of um, a team that's going to win it. I think Chiesa from, from the right, could be very dangerous. He's he's grown throughout this tournament. Insignia, as Gregor said, has been absolutely excellent, but is is up against a, an impressive and experienced, but also probably almost definitely tired as Piliqueta. And also Immobile, I mean, he's been given he, he has dropped off in this tournament, throughout this tournament from the beginning. But Mancini has given him his backing, and it, you know, I, I don't know what whether that will will have an effect on tomorrow. But he will go into that game with so much more confidence than him saying nothing. It was this similar thing with Kane and, and Southgate. You know, he came out, he said, I'm, I'm not dropping him. He's my striker. He is the best striker we've got and one of the best strikers in Europe. And that will have an impact on 
Immobile's mindset going into a game against a defence which has been far from impressive. We'll obviously need to see if Immobile has recovered from that that uh, horrible injury he suffered in the penalty box. And... <laughs> <laughs> I get the feeling. I think the late fitness test he will pass. I I just get that feeling. I don't know about you. Yeah, me too. Yeah. We could spend a whole podcast just analysing that video. That was just excellent. I mean, Gregor and I. I don't know about you, Tom, but we're purists. If if it's one nil and we have another 15 minutes at the end of the game of S-Housery, then I, I think uh, we'll both be pretty happy with it. There is an art to it, and only the Italians do it as well as, as anyone else. We found out earlier I'm a romantic, not a purist. Really, so. <laughs> Before we hear from the England camp head of their big semi-final against Denmark, I did want to talk about Wembley. Of course, I'm from Wembley, but I'm not a big fan of the size of the pitch at Wembley, which for me rarely produces good games. They're either sort of, you know, tight, you know, one team very narrow or a, a team tries to counterattack and wears themselves into the ground. Maybe one side's really good on the ball in terms of possession and that wears out their opponents. You know, there's always, for me, a factor that the pitch plays that maybe it shouldn't. Italy have already been there against Austria, but of course that was probably their worst performance of the competition so far. So do you think Wembley will factor in, Tom, to the result here? Yeah, it could do. Uh, I think you made a really interesting point there. It is a massive pitch. You feel it. You you feel it when you're at the stadium, and you also feel it possibly even more when you watch the game on TV because of probably because of the camera angle. And it, it, it is a huge pitch, and you just think in a in a semi final, not wanting to leave open the spaces that can be capitalised on, you maybe end up going for caution over playing with a, with a freedom. I hope you're wrong, Hugh. I hope that is wrong. I hope they do both go for it tomorrow. The one thing as well, which which isn't to do necessarily with Wembley, but but is a little bit for tomorrow, is, is, is what the managers have been touching on, that this is a final with um, you know thousands of fans there and not many of them are going to be Italian, not many of them are going to be Spanish. And a similar thing happened to the game in Munich the other day where you're watching this huge match and the, the stands are just sparse with, with fans and it feels a little bit underwhelming, really. It's a shame. Well, there's a good nugget by Bill Edgar in the... In his column in the paper today, it's the there's been 41 goals in the group stages, which is the most since 1970. But Wembley, throughout the tournament, has had 1.4 goals per game, which is the fewest any venue in the competition. So we all have to hope that that changes, <laughs> and it does kind of possibly back up your point. It's a you know as you say, it's a they've not all been the you know the Germany game was very very entertaining, but it is a big expanse. You know, I've I don't want to drop a clanger here but I've played there and it's um, <laughs> it's, it's a big it's a big old place Times Journalist charity match was it? <laughs> no no it may as well have been it was a National League playoff final <laughs> not quite the Euros <laughs> I take that back actually it was a big game for all of us it was a big game yeah it is a big old place we're talking about little kind of intangibles here, but it is interesting that Wembley has seen the fewest goals so far. Well, Gregor, you know, that may have a little something to do with England's approach, particularly earlier on in this competition. But the less said about that, the better, because they're into the semi-finals. So up next, we'll discuss England's game with Denmark on Wednesday night. Stay with us on the game. station. 
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, once the game at Wembley on Tuesday night between Spain and Italy is done with, there's work for the groundsmen to do because it's a pretty quick turnaround for the game between England, hosts, of course, against Denmark, the number 10 side in the world who have grown and grown into this tournament. In fact, you could say the same about England as well. We're slightly biased on the game podcast. Uh, So we're going to catch up with the England camp. Paul Joyce has been following the team throughout the competition. I asked him a little bit earlier on, what the mood is like in the camp right now? Calm, um, excited, confident. I think there's a real belief in, in, in the squad at the moment. I think the, the fact that you mentioned that about the, the semi-final of the World Cup and obviously that ended in defeat, but I think that almost gives them a bit more sort of belief because they've been through that process once before. They, they feel they're in a better position than three years ago, both in terms of sort of They've experienced more things since then. And and I think there's a feeling within the squad that there's greater depth of resources than there was three years ago. So, yeah, it's a very very confident squad while at the same time always projecting that it's going to be a difficult game against Denmark, who they've faced already twice this season and failed to score a goal against. What was the mood today? I know Harry Maguire spoke to the media as well. In terms of the players keeping a level head, he's had a great couple of games as well, looks more confident than ever. You know, Do you think he's going to carry that into the game against Denmark? There's always so much focus on the England captain at these tournaments and, and whenever England play. But I think what we've seen in, as the tournament's progressed is Jordan Pickford develop into a leader Raheem Sterling definitely develop into a leader. Harry Maguire, since he came back from injury, develop into a leader. Even Luke Shaw, somebody who's only got 14 caps, develop into a leader. So, yeah, I think, I think Harry Maguire sort of feels like a bit of a talisman for England at the moment. Just so secure, gives it, brings a sense of, um, calm to, to the defending and, I think because of what's happened to Harry Maguire this season, that he and because of the injury that he had coming into the tournament, there's been a lot of focus on him. Obviously, he missed the Europa League final with Manchester United. He was he spoke today about being sent off about against Denmark when the teams last met at Wembley, which was back in October, and he was going through a difficult period in terms of his form at that at that that time. So he's drawn a lot of focus, but I think John Stones alongside him has had an exceptional tournament. You know, was out of the England squad for a long time. 
when when he wasn't playing for Manchester City, he's come, he's he's come in since March and and really picked up where he left off. So there's a nice blend at the moment of the core players from 2018: Pickford, Stones, Maguire, Kyle Walker, Kane, Sterling, Henderson, and then you've got these other maybe younger players, talented players: Mason Mount, Luke Shaw. Take your pick on the right side: Saka, Foden, uh, Sancho, and Calvin Phillips and Rice, of course, as well. So I think that's something that Harry Maguire stressed. The squad feels better prepared because it's got a really good balance of experience and the fearlessness of youth at the moment. Just finally, I think spirit is a massive thing in international competition. I know the manager, Gareth Southgate, has spoken about the closeness of the squad, the players talking about one another in really great, you know, friendly terms as well. You know, we, we, we mentioned it a few days ago on the podcast, but do you think the fact that there are no, there's no two horse race anymore in the Premier League? You know, lots of these players are from clubs spread across the top division, but also, of course, you know, even the race for the title is every year, it seems to be two different teams. There's no real, you know, it used to be Manchester United and Chelsea for a period or, and Manchester United and Arsenal during years where England really under-delivered. What do you think the key ingredient is in, in this England squad of that harmony? No, I think that's a very good point. I'd not really thought of that, but I think that's a very good point that you raised. That, that there isn't really the sort of maybe entrenched club rivalries that we saw maybe in the early sort of 2000s with the Liverpool and Manchester United players. I think the, set, the secret of the harmony undoubtedly comes from the manager though, because he's cultivated this um, environment. He, he's put the culture in place where it's about everyone. It's about the 26 or the 23, as it would normally be. It's not about one or two players. I think he's been, the breadth of clubs that he's taken, he's been prepared to pick players from, West Ham or Leeds, um, you know, Southampton. You know, there's various examples of, of players who've come from the less less established, less perceived elite I think Southgate deserves a lot of credit for how he's he's cultivated the the group. Really, I think England are benefiting from the continuity that his his appointment brought. He knew a lot of these players from the under twenty ones, and and I know they stumbled across him really because of what happened with Sam Allardyce, and he didn't really want the job at first when when Roy Hodgson left it um, after the end of Euro twenty sixteen, but. The FA have almost sort of hit upon this sort of formula by accident, but it, it's certainly certainly one that's got England sort of becoming everything that every England fan has always wanted the squad to be, and, and they're in a very sort of good place going into this this massive week now. And um, yeah, no no complacency, but but just confidence and belief is is what you sort of detect around the camp really Paul Joyce thank you very much and we will look forward to that game between England and Denmark most of us England fans with real hope we'll discuss it on tomorrow's episode of the game but remember if you're enjoying the podcast give us a five star review on Apple Podcasts wherever you get your podcast from and of course make sure you're subscribed to the Times and the Sunday Times there will be great journalism today looking ahead to that game just go online search the times.co.uk forward slash the game to begin your free free trial. We'll see you very soon. The train is now approaching. 
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.